All right, so my name's Chris. Like I said, I'm on staff here at the church, part of the, the team of teaching. And so I want to kind of walk you back. We're kind of in a free week right here before we start what at the church. And so they kind of gave me the option to teach whatever it is I felt the Lord was kind of pushing on our heart to, to learn, all right? And so a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, Matt, um, he taught through actually Matthew 25. He was in Revelations, but he came back to Matthew 25 and taught through the parable of the ten virgins, all right? You want to take a guess why he did that? I love it, man. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Or you're absolutely wrong. I have no idea which one's which. But the parable of the ten virgins is about Jesus coming back. And so it's all about people being ready for the coming of the king. All right? As Matthew 25 continues to roll, it gets even further. And so he goes into the parable of the bags of gold. And this is basically what happens when people are not ready. All right? From there, he takes it even further, and then he takes you into the parable of the sheep and the goats, which is when he's talking about where he's separating people out before the great throne judgment, right? Now, these texts are kind of heavy because lots of people believe that Jesus is all love. And because Jesus is all love means there's no judgment in him. Now, here's the challenge to that. Anybody who's all love and never judges... Let's talk about that for just a second. Like if you're a parent in the room and you're all love and you never judge your child, are you good? Man, you're a cynic, right? And you do everything so that your kids will love you, even if it hurts them, yeah? And so to take Jesus' wrath or his judgment away from him makes him not good anymore. And somewhere in America, we've lost this, that Jesus just does whatever we want him to do and that there's no judgment in him. And we know from the text that that is not accurate at all. And so when I teach this today, it may rub some of you the wrong way. But here's the deal. The Lord is always for you. And so if it rubs you the wrong way, let it sit with you. Like let it push on you in a way where your Savior loves you. All right? We'll take you into the heart of it and then we'll pull you out of it on on why this is so important for you. Is that cool? And so we're going to start in Matthew 25. We're going to be in verse 14. And it says this. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you should trust me with these five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. So let's just pause on this for a second. All right? Let's kind of put this on paper. So here's, here's what we know, right? There was the master of a house. Is that right? Do we know that? Okay, so I'm going I'm to write this out. This is our high-tech way New City Church works. Expo marker and a whiteboard. And so we have the master of the house. He owns a house, right? We all agree with that, right? It says, and then he goes away on a long journey. And he entrusts the wealth of his house with three people. Is that what it says? All right, we're okay with that? Let's give these three people a name. Anybody want to name them? One at a time. <laughs> Someone one star with an S. Steve. Steve. Alan. And Tony. 
Oh, Tony, you got a bad job here, dude. All right. So we got Steve, Alan, and Tony. It says, it says, then he went on his journey and says he gave each of them their own money. So it says to one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag. All right. Now, the translation for this in the NIV is not really that, that, that accurate. All right. The actual translation for this is talenton. This is why this parable is normally called the parable of the talents. All right? It's not really the parable of the gold money. It's the parable of the talenton. Talenton is the word you use for your word talent. All right? So anytime there's a talent show, that's where we get our word for it. And so this encompasses or incorporates all of your talents. Now, in their terminology, a talent meant a weight. All right? In, in all actuality, it was like 75 pounds. So depending on what you're talking about, is the amount of whatever. So a talent of gold is worth more than a talent of silver. And a talent of silver is worth more than a talent of bronze. Do you see how that plays out? And that's the actual way this is written. And so it says what happens is the, 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 the master of the house goes away and he gives talents to his people. To Steve, he gives five, Right? To Alan, he gives two, and then to Tony, he gives one. Are we on board with that? Everybody tracking with that pretty good? All right. And it says, then he goes on a long journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. All right? So can we agree with the fact that, hey, he went to work, He gained five more bags. Is that cool? All right. It says, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So this guy goes to work and gains two more. Is that fair? All right. And it says, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So can we say that? He really didn't work. He hid his master's money. And so there was nothing for him to make off that. Is that cool? Are you with me? Now, the word says that he gave to each of them according to their own might. The actual word is dunamis here. And what it means is strength or might or willpower. All right? And so he gives to each of us, like these are us. Like if you want to know, these people are us. And so he's given you talents based upon your might, your strength, your weight. He has given you that for what reason? All right, I'm glad you asked. We'll get there. So the story tracks on. Steve goes to work, doubles his. Alan goes to work, doubles his. Tony goes to nowhere. Tony goes to the ground and buries his. Story tracks on. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, the beauty of a parable is it kind of runs parallel to another story that's playing out. Who is the only person you know that came, gave gifts to his house, to the people of his house, to the servants of his house, then left for a long time, and then is coming back? Who is this? Yeah. So can we, can we just kind of say, this is actually Jesus right? Jesus is talking about himself here. 
He's talking about himself with his people. And so it says, after a long time, Jesus, the master of those servants, returned and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came and said, Master, Jesus, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So here's what we can say. Steve Rock had five, gained five more for Jesus, and then there was 10. Agreed? Alan comes in, had two, went to work, got two more, ended up with four. Agreed? All right. And so Jesus says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. At any point, does Jesus say, well done, good and brilliant servant? Does he ever say, well done, good and awesome servant? Does he say, well done, good and guy who can juggle a thousand things servant? Does he say, well done, good and good looking servant? Does he say, well done, good and ugly servant? Does he say, good, well done, my heavy servant? What does he say? He says, well done, my good and what? Faithful. So can we agree that the only thing added to these two things here is faithfulness? Like in all actuality, what do you do? Like what power do you have to multiply stuff? Jesus says, apart from him, you will do nothing, but with him, you will do all kinds of things. And so what is our role here? Is our role to go to work and fight for all of our stuff? Or is our role just to simply be and let him work through us? Like breathe into this. Like, let the gospel seep into your soul and go, dude, it's not on me. It's not on me. The only thing that the Lord asks of me to be fruitful with my life is to stay faithful. Regardless of what you're doing, if you're making disciples or playing on the band, making coffee or shaking hands at the front door, or just simply being Jesus to your family or to your job or to the meanest people you know, What does he ask? Just to be faithful. Not that they're going to be faithful back to you. Not that they're going to be nice to you. Not going to be good to you. Nothing. He just simply says, your role in this walk with me is to stay faithful. That's it. And the only person that knows if you're faithful to the Lord is you and the Lord. And he's going to show us that in the text. And so we move on just a little bit further, and it says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Verse 24. Then the man who had one bag came. Now let's think through this for a second. If you're looking at this as a, I'm going to write this up here, as a group effort, 
They did pretty sweet. Would you agree? They went from five, seven, eight to ten, four, and one, fifteen. So as a group of people, they did a pretty awesome job. Can we agree on that? But what happens here? It says the man with one bag came before the Lord. It's not a group effort. Like, think about this. Like, every one of us will stand before the Lord. You, me, everyone outside those doors, everyone stands before the Lord and gives an account for their life. You will not be able to say, my church did this, or I was a part of a group that did this. Like we did old Shawnee days, or we did foster and adoption care, or we did discipling. You will not get that we, because the Lord will say to you, what did you do? And every man in here will give an account for everything we've done, for every day we wasted, and for every day we were awesome, or maybe faithful, yeah? And so let that lean into you. Your role is simply to be faithful, number one. But number two, you will give an account for what that looks like in your life. And so he brings this man to him, right? And he says, Master, or Jesus, he said, I I knew, I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And so by, by all accounts, here's what he says. He's like, he's like, Tony comes before the Lord. And the Lord's like, Tony, what did you do with what I gave you? And Tony responds. He says, hey, here's the deal. Like, I know you. Like, I know your omnipotence. I know your power. I know you sow where you, don't, where you have not gathered. And you reap where you have not sown. Like, I know you can do all of these things. And because of that, I did nothing. That's his answer. And while that worked for him probably most of his life, it will not work with the Lord. Because the Lord uses his own words to condemn him. And so the Lord responds, Jesus responds to him and he says, Oh, you wicked and lazy servant. This is the prophet in Jesus coming out. He's like, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed? At bare minimum, you should have put my money in deposit with the banker so that when I returned, at least there would be interest. That's his response. Jesus stands with Tony and says, Tony, bro, if you knew all of those things about me, if that's what you knew about me, then you wouldn't have done what you did. You wouldn't have done that. Like I gave you these things for the kingdom to advance, for you to bring heaven to people. You want to know what's really awesome about this text? When Jesus says to them in the first two, the first two guys, they come in and they're like, man, here's what we did, man. We multiplied here. And the Lord says to them, you come and you share in your master's happiness. 
Come and share in your master's happiness. We use this word called Quorum Day. You ever heard of it before? Quorum Day, C-O-R-U-M-D-E-O. What it means is it's the people of God living in the full presence of God, under the full authority of God, for the full glory of God. It's like heaven. And for those of you who are believers, like this is the day that you long for. When the Lord says, come and enter into my rest, come and enter into my kingdom, that's what he's saying. He's saying, full on quorum day, the people of God fully living in my presence, under my full authority, fully for my glory, no hearts divided. And those are what the first two got to come in and play with. That's what can happen. That's what the Lord pushes on us. He's like, listen, heaven looks like this. Like your heart will be still before me and you will see all that you ever long to see with me. Like you will know what it's like to be known fully and to be fully known by me. Like you will know what it looks like to have no wreckage in your life. You will know what it looks like to look out on the earth and see no wreckage in it because all things will be under my authority. That's why he says to them, come and into this. This last guy, he says, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they do have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. New Testament terminology for Gehenna or hell. Defined as separation from who God is and where God lives. You tracking? So let me kind of bring your attention to a couple things. The story with Tony is, Tony was given one, he gave back one. By all definitions, we can't say that Tony's a thief. Because what Jesus gave him, he gave back. So he was kind of a, by our standards, by human standards, he was a good guy, right? Like he's not a thief. Where, where's Tony serving at? In the house of Jesus. By all accounts, Tony looks just like Steve and Alan. Like no one can tell him apart except for this day. And the Lord comes to him and says, you know what? Although you were in the house, you knew a lot of things about me in the house, your heart has given you away for you never knew me. Your words condemn you. You know a ton about me. That's not even accurate. But you never knew me. And so he says, throw this guy out. He was never part of the family to begin with. And he wasted what I gave him. Like, I, I know that's heavy. But it's not my words, it's his. And so my question becomes this. It's like, like, why would he do that? Like, why would this guy spend his entire life playing a part of the church? Like, why would he work for this? Like, why, why would he even play in this? And I, I reckon it to a couple things. Number one, he never really believed that Jesus was coming back. 
Never believed it. He'd heard it. He thought about it a lot, maybe. But he never actually believed it because if he had, it would be the thing that compelled him to do more. Like it compelled him to work for heaven. He didn't live a life that required heaven to come home. Like he didn't want restoration. He didn't want to move forward with it. Like he was okay living in a shell and backing off from the world. And because of that, the Lord's like, listen, if you don't want heaven now, you didn't want it then, there's no way that you're going to understand what it looks like now. And this becomes the challenge for us because it's been 2,000 years since Christ has been here. And we lose focus. We lose focus of him returning. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of lean into that for a second. With the last few minutes, I just want to kind of lean into us. And so whether you're here and you're stuck, like heaven's never part of your life, like you bring in restorations, never part of your life, like you trying to see things that were once dead come alive, it's never part of your life. If you're not sitting with Jesus, it's not part of your life. If like Jesus doesn't kind of incorporate your household, it's not part of your life. If Jesus isn't forefront on your mind, not part of your life. Like if that's you and you're Tony, then man, listen up. And I would also say, man, like if you're Alan and Steve and you're fighting the good fight, listen up as well. About two years ago, man, I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and it said, out of all the gifts to desire, desire the gift, desire the gift of prophetic. All the people that I know that have this gift, man, they sometimes, man, the world has drugged them down because they seem to have eyes that they can see the brokenness in the world. And if you listen to them long enough, man, sometimes they're just sad people. <laughs> Because their eyes have been open to what's going on. I asked for that gift one time, and the Lord begins to bring it. And while I'm the guy who's been making fun of them for the last few months, or the last several years, I'm that guy now. And it's not that fun. Although it increases your love for the gospel, it increases your love for the scriptures, man, it really messes with you with what's true. And the more you walk around in the world, the more you see the full-on brokenness of it. And it is not fun. This past week, hanging out there at Arbor Square, you guys know that we kind of run over there. Last year we were there every Thursday having a meal. One of the ladies that came over, she'd bring her radio over every weekend, let us use it to play music on. She came to us one, one Thursday evening. She's like, man, she's like, Chris, she goes, my life sucks. Everything about my life sucks. My relationships suck. My money sucks. Everything about my life sucks. She goes, what is the answer? We turn to John 3. We let her read it. Her eyes filled up with tears. You know when somebody can read the Gospels without being born again that the Holy Spirit is moving in their life. She teared up and she's like, I'm in the director's chair and I got to get out. I'm like, yeah, that's true. It's what has to happen. So we work with her for a couple weeks. She sends me a text one day in November last year and she said, I'm in the director's chair and I'm staying there. She was, I got to do what's right for me. Monday, they found her beat to death in her apartment. 
You couple that with all the stories on the news this week, the brokenness of the church, the brokenness of your friends in school, along with this immature gift, gets kind of lonely, man. So Monday, Wednesday afternoon at 11 o'clock, 40 years old, and I find myself weeping over the brokenness of this place, over this world, just weeping over it. And I began to think to myself, what can I do? Like, what's, what really can I do? I got two hands, two feet, a wife and four kids. Like, really, like, what am I going to do? Like, what do these guys know that keeps them moving? So I began to ask Jesus, going, what is it? What do we need to know? And man, here's the deal. Heaven lives in us, but it's not here. But one day it will be. Right? And so we work for it like it is. And I was reminded of a few things here, so I just kind of jotted them down. Of while we long for Christ's return, and while we cannot look like Tony, and while we must continue to move forward like Steve and Alan, and this is just a few of them. I'm going to give you my top seven what fires me up to keep moving. If you believe in any of these, I would ask you to stand up with me. Is that cool? Number one, Jesus will get what is rightfully his. When he came the first time, he was repudiated by the Jews. He's rejected in his hometown. He was persecuted by the religious leaders. He was betrayed by his friends, denied by another friend, deserted, mocked by the masses. He had no place to lay his head. His only possession when he died was a robe. He was born in a stable, raised in poverty, nailed to a tree, buried in a borrowed tomb. Today people scoff at him, make fun of him, ridicule him, and use his name as a curse word. But when he comes back, man, he will appear like lightning with fire in his eyes. And by the sword of his mouth, he will make all things right. He will wage war on everything that is unjust. No one will be allowed to torture him. No man will ridicule him. But he will receive his honor and his glory. And for his name's sake, all things will be made right. He will have an inscription on his thigh that says he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And everything will bow to him. All nations will submit to him in this moment of life. And I'll be there. For his name's sake, he will make all things good. Number two, the king of lies will get what he deserves and everything that he has lied about will be exposed and what he has robbed will be given back. I'm sick of how easily it is to manipulate the minds of the weak and pollute our minds with every sickening thought until they are acted upon. I'm tired of rape and murder and men working for the glory of themselves. I'm sick of my own heart and I want the full effect of Coram Deo instead of having to constantly war with myself. So I'm ready for my king to put an end to the father of lies, which he so clearly says he'll do in Revelations 19 and 20. Number three, all of creation will get what it deserves. From the fall of the world and it being submitted to frustration in Genesis 3, there will come a time, Isaiah says, in Isaiah 11, when the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing children will play by the hole of the cobra because the snake will no longer be poisonous. Paul affirms this in Romans 8. 
For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be liberated from its bondage, from the decay, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth for Jesus to make it right. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we have been saved. Yes? Number four, the nations will be at peace with one another. Biblically speaking, man is incapable of promoting permanent peace. And so for now, nations will still rise against nation and wars and rumors of wars will continue until the fulfillment of the Lord when he rules the nations with a rod of iron. Psalms 2 verse 9, from there forward, nations will not lift up a sword against nation and never again will they train from war, Micah 4, 3, and they will hammer their swords into plows and share their crops with their brothers, Isaiah 2. Can I get an amen? Number five, the Jews will receive what they have been promised. There will come a time when the Lord Almighty will pour out on the house of the Jews and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him. That's one who mourns for their only child. And they will grieve bitterly as their eyes are open to what Jesus has done for them. Zechariah 12. And on that day, a fountain of salvation will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them of their sin and their impurity. Zechariah 13. And in a moment, the world will be turned upside down concerning the Jews. During the millennial reign, 10 Gentiles will grab the garment of one Jew and say, let us go with you for we know that the Lord is God is on your side. Zechariah 8. Number six, the saints get what they deserve. That's you. When the Lord returns, the saints will rise with Jesus and they will meet him in the air and we will be fully known even though as he fully knows us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We will trade in our perishable bodies for the imperishable bodies that will be perfect and that no disease can touch. For the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. And we will sing in a loud voice, O death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory for the Lord Jesus Christ has handed you your butt on a platter? Paraphrase 1 Corinthians 15. And the saints will then all be a witness to the defeat of the Antichrist and Satan. And he will be handed his butt on a plate. Revelations 19. And then the saints will receive what Jesus said in Matthew 25. We will assist our king in his rule and dominion over the earth, Revelations 2. And Jesus will reign as the king of kings and the Lord of lords from Mount Zion. And Coram Dale will be in full swing for all of his people. And here's the seventh reason I want Jesus to come back. It's because sometimes I'm just sick of me. You ever been there? Just sick of me sometimes. I get so sick of my heart wandering away from the Lord. been singing songs about it for a long time and it's so true there'll come a day where our hearts will not wander from him for the train of his robe 
and his glory will fill the temple. And we will be like trees planted against this river whose, whose blooms never turn brown. That's why we keep going. Because one day all that will be true. This story, man, it started with the Lord making it all well. We broke it. He came and fixed us. And this story ends with us reigning and being a part of his story. The bride coming back for his household, which is you. And I would tell you today that if you're living right here, today is the day of your salvation. Quit screwing around. Your life matters. And because your life matters, the people around you matter. Or you can continue down the same road you've been going down, which probably isn't working that well for you. So stop it. Jesus has created you for more than that. So come on. Get involved. This story ends with us standing by him by a glassy sea, by a sea made of glass, and the Lord reigning over his enemies. And if you're in category two and five, I would say to you, man, put your shoes on, keep moving. There ain't a whole lot for you to do except be faithful. Like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind because that's the only way you'll love his people. And if you don't want heaven to come, you definitely don't want it to hit, hit the earth now. And so change your mind. You have the power to change stuff around you. It lives on one thing, being faithful. Not this, this, and this, be faithful. Not be faithful. What? Be faithful. That's all he asks. He says, you meet with me and I promise you, I will meet with you and you will do measurably more than you could ever think or imagine. And everyone in the house said to that, God, you are good. Like let us worship before your throne, Father. Let us sing of the day to come. Let it inspire us to keep our shoes moving. Keep our shoes moving. Not to get bogged down, Father. It's not on us to restore the planet. That's your job. We'll stay faithful. And everyone in the house said to that,